Jeff, if you would. Um, got some exciting things going on in his life, and he's going to share those with you. Yeah, Ron, get it. Got it? Yeah. I'll try not to preach. He gave me 90 seconds. <laughs> I told him that wasn't enough. About 12, I don't know, uh, 10 to 12 months ago, um, I started considering um, attending law school. And uh, through the course of evaluating that, the uh, wisdom or folly of that, um, it seems that God just brought everything together to make that possible, from my own desires to Molly's willingness um, to uh, finances to the um, accommodation and encouragement of my employer. Um, Everything fell into place. And uh, so yesterday, I attended orientation at uh, OCU Law School downtown, and we'll be starting there, um, first classes tomorrow. So as a result of that, um, our busy lives will be even busier. And uh, as a result, I'm not going to be able to continue uh, serving uh, you as a governing elder, something I've done for the last five years and and made this a really difficult decision. Um, Certainly, we're still still going to be at Heritage, um, but our involvement and ability to lead in different capacities will be be lessened during this season, and it is a season. And ultimately, our our hope is that God will use this uh, to further his kingdom in some way. Um, I certainly look, look back on my life. Uh, I was sitting in orientation, and this, um, I'll call him a kid, very nice young man. Uh, he had been out of school for a year, and he asked me when I graduated college, and I said 17 years ago. <laughs> and, uh, uh, that made me feel a little geriatric in the room. Um, but it was, it was exciting. Um, it also gave me a glimpse into what uh, people, young people going into university are, are facing. Um, it's a different world. Um, the, the survey that I had to fill out uh, beforehand to submit to the dean, uh, one of the questions was, what is your preferred pronoun? As a Christian, I, I don't believe in that category. I don't believe that preference has anything to do with how we should be how, how people should refer to us. And, and God has, has, in his word, made very clear that gendered language is a beautiful thing, is a good thing. And while that question could make us angry or feel as an attack of activism, which it may be, we also have to realize that the world is very confused mm-hmm. and needs the truth. And so as Christians, we need to lovingly Affirm God's truth. Tell the truth, but winsomely and lovingly and with compassion. Because people are very confused about the most foundational elements of their person and being. And just as we sing, Jesus Christ was a real person who died on a cross for the sins of mankind and rose again from the grave. And that, that is a message of hope. And he's returning, by the way. He's coming back. And there's a day of judgment coming. And so um, I would ask for your prayers for me, for my family. Um, You know, I fully intend to finish this. 
Uh, but, but who knows what God has? I never would have envisioned this 10 years ago. Um, who knows what God has planned? Who knows what God has planned for me, for us? Pray for your, your pastors and elders. We need it. Um, it's, it's a heavy load. But it's, for me, it was a, it was a load that, that I loved, that I cherished. So it's, it's very difficult for me to, to, to say no to that. Now, I was almost up in my term anyway. So that made it a little easier. But yet at the same time, I know I'm going to miss it. I know I'm going to miss many, I'm going to miss teaching Sunday school, but um, who knows, maybe God will allow us to be a little more involved than we consider right now, but please pray for us, pray, pray for our families, and for our church, pray for our young people as they go in, and as a church, let's continue to affirm the truth, and to live that out, and set an example that all of us can follow um, as we live in a world that in our culture seems to be darkening more and more, and where the contrast between the light and the darkness is getting all that much more evident. So um, I thank God for you. I love you all, and we're still here, so don't think this is goodbye, Um, but appreciate your prayers, and um, it was a blessing and a privilege uh, to be be one of your elders for the last five years, so thank you. We're going to pray for you. Uh, Jeff asked for us to pray, and we're going to do that. And I, I'm hoping that in the next uh, how many years till you finish, three to five, something like that, that we can at least get him back in the pulpit from time to time like he has in the past, and so we'll pray for him. Father, we uh, thank you that you are, are our God. You sovereignly and providentially move in every detail of life, and uh, Jeff has given testimony to that today, and we are grateful for that. And uh, Lord, he has undertaken an incredible challenge to be a full-time dad and husband, to be a full-time worker at his job, now to undertake law school. And so we pray for your anointing to rest upon him as it has. And Lord, uh, this is not one of those sacred, secular things. What he is doing is of you. And so, therefore, it is sacred. We ask you to bless him as he works through school. And all of the challenges that will be put forth toward him, I pray that he could, um, uh, because truth is in his heart, that he would speak the truth in love. And I pray that you would use him in the days ahead in a mighty way that he has not even really dreamed of yet. Now, Lord, we thank you for this time together as we consider your word in in, in a subject that can be very controversial, but we pray that it will be helpful today. We love you, Lord. We look forward to what you are doing in our lives. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. James chapter 5, I'm just going to read verses 13 through the first part of 16. This is what we considered last week, but I wanted to come back We have two more Sundays after this in the book of James. And uh, I I thought maybe we would complete it a a week earlier, but I I just had to come back and deal with this because, as I said, there is so much confusion about it. So whether you're young or old, this is something that you will need to hear. I don't pretend to be an expert on divine healing or or all of these kinds of things, but we're going to go to the Word 
and try to get some things out of the Word, and if for nothing else, to help you in your discussions with uh, folks around the church come to a better understanding of what the Word says. Now, let me just read this, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Does God heal supernaturally today? If so, does He do so independently of others, or does He heal through those who have been given a supernatural gift of healing? Sometimes these people are called faith healers. Another question that has plagued many of you, I'm sure, in this congregation Why is one person healed? And it's obvious sometimes that it's a miracle. And other people remain disabled or sick and they eventually die. Questions like these spark endless debates with good and sincere people on opposite sides. And in fact, entire movements and denominations have been formed around the belief in faith healing. And those who claim that Christ's death not only brings us forgiveness of sins and salvation, but also that Christ's death guarantees physical healing in this life. Frankly, most of us want to believe something like that. I mean, most of us... I would think, desire a life free from sickness and pain and the sorrow of death, don't we? It isn't uncommon these days, although you may be not in the circle that does this, but it's not uncommon for people to travel long distances and to give great sums of money in hopes of being physically healed by those who claim to have a supernatural gift to heal diseases, to restore the disabled, to bring relief to the depressed and provide sight and or hearing. And, And so we have to ask, are they right? Are those who suffer pain and sickness and hardship without God's healing, are they harboring sin? Or do they just lack in faith? Or are they missing out on some extra gift and benefit in the Christian life? Well, I ask all those questions, and I asked a lot more this last week as I was studying for this. And so I came up with basically what you see in your outline. We need to ask, what do the Scriptures have to say about this subject of divine healing? We need to ask 
that the Scriptures teach something specific. And I've given you five foundational truths on suffering and sickness that... Now, listen to me. Again, I do not pretend to be an expert. And I don't pretend that it will erase the pain of sickness or of death, but I hope with all of my heart that these different things that we're going to look at today will be incredibly helpful to help you face this subject of sickness, illness, disability, and even death, not only biblically, but victoriously. So let's jump into these things. You see that the first one, the first point is, suffering and sickness are results of Adam and Eve's choice to sin in the garden. One of the things that that you're going to have to, to, to ask, one of the questions you're going to have to deal with is this, why is there sickness and death in the first place? To discover the answer to these questions, we've got to go back. I mean, way back. All the way back to the Garden of Eden and to our first parents. In the first two chapters of Genesis, we find that God created everything. Everything that we see in the cosmos was created by God. And when He finished His creation, He stepped back and pronounced it, listen, not just good, but very good. And, and I've, I've wondered, I, I read the book, and some of you have read this book, read it a while back, Randy Alcorn's big thick book on heaven, and he gives some incredible pictures there, but I, I've wondered to myself, if, if you look around, and Jim, those were some great pictures you showed. Not of the bears necessarily, but of the scenery. And yet, just, just imagine those pictures on steroids, if you will. I, I mean, you, you take what we see and you multiply at times infinity and you stretch it out through eternity with no blight, no decay, no rot. And maybe you can just begin a little bit to discover what heaven might look like. It's going to be incredible. And the Garden of Eden was incredible. But Adam sinned, and with his sin, God had to follow up on the judgment that he had pronounced when he said, Adam... Do not eat of the tree, for in the day that you eat of it, you will die. And when Adam made that fateful choice, he blamed Eve for it and she blamed the serpent, but it was Adam's bad, okay? So you look around, and, and, and even when you're hiking on those trails, I love to hike some of the prettiest mountains in the world are in, in Colorado and New Mexico. But you'll look around and you'll see death and you'll see decay and you'll see rot and all the rest of that. Where did that come from? It came from our first parent, Adam, and his choice to sin. And because of that, God not only followed through on the death for Adam and Eve, but he also pronounced a curse on everything. Now, in case the Old Testament isn't good enough for you, then let's look to what Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world. Now, let me say this. If you are an ardent evolutionist, this is going to mess with your theory. 
By the way, that's what it is. A theory. If you believe in evolution that millions and millions of years went by, was everything dying before man came on the scene? The Bible says clearly that just as, as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, our first parent, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, if you read in context, by the way, when I pop these verses up here, this is what's called proof texting. That can be good and that can be bad. You always need to go and read the context. Okay? So while physical death could be included in that, somebody who's astute and who reads the context, well, Paul was talking about spiritual death, and you'd be right. But we've also got to go to some other places in Scripture. And in 1 Corinthians 15, he just nails it. And here he is no doubt talking about physical death and physical resurrection. For as by a man came death. By a man, Jesus Christ, has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Folks, that is gospel. The book of Romans says this. Not only spread to men. I've been saying it. You look around. You look at creation. You look at the cosmos. And do you know that the curse was spread out all over the cosmos? Folks, we're not winding up and getting better and better. According to scientists, everything is winding down. And look at this. Paul, it's just amazing how Scripture speaks to these issues. The creation itself will be set free. Redemption is not just for us. Redemption is for all creation set free from its bondage to corruption and, to, uh, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That is absolutely fantastic. So here's what we need to see under that first heading. In the broadest sense, all sickness and suffering that we deal with today are the result of original sin. We live in a cursed world. And sometimes you're shielded from that. And sometimes the reality of that just hits you. If you, if you turn on the TV or if you read news kinds of, of, of articles, the events of the last week or so. And folks, these are not out of the ordinary. These are things that happen all of the time. And there are people asking why, and they're, they're trying to, to make all of these plans so that they will stop this. This will not happen until Jesus stops it when He redeems you and me and He redeems all of creation. Now, let me just let you in on a little secret if Adam and Eve had not sinned, that's hypothetical, so we don't really want to go too far there, but think about it. If Adam and Eve had not committed the original sin in the Garden of Eden, humanity would never have known murder or fatal accidents or sickness or death 
or anything else that goes with it. I went back and did a study. I can't share all of it with you, but it was fascinating. The first death, do you remember what it was? Do you remember what the occasion of it was? After the curse. Adam and Eve began to have children. Cain and Abel. And so the first death was not due, as far as we know. Now, again, the, the, I'm trying to help you have the, the, these points of interpretation. We have to be careful with arguments from silence. But let's just go with it for a minute. The first recorded death in the Bible was Adam and Eve. Uh, excuse me, Cain and Abel. I misspoke this morning in our prayer time. I said I sound like a politician misstating things. Please pray for me. Okay? So what was the second death recorded in the Bible? It was another murder. Now, if you count five generations after Cain killed Abel, he had an ancestor named Lamech. And Lamech had these two wives. From all we know, he was the first polygamist too. Interesting. But we find, and he's just kind of an aside, he's telling, he kind of having a conversation, I guess, over morning coffee, and he's talking to his wives, and he says, hey, no, 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 I, just, I want you to know something. And he starts confessing that he killed a young man for striking him. I don't know what all was involved in that, but that was the second. Now, was that justifiable homicide? That was the second death recorded in all of Scripture. The first death of non-homicide, the first natural death, if you will, was apparently, again, I can't prove it, argument from silence, but the one recorded is Adam. Adam was apparently the first, the first natural death. He could have been the first natural death of any of them. He could have been. But here's what it says in Genesis 5.5. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. Now what's interesting, I'm just going to put this in here. This would be something good for you to talk about. Did he get sick and then die or did he just die? Uh, interesting. Because all I know is you can go to the end of Genesis and it's recorded that Jacob who also died, he had just given this incredibly long speech to his sons. He had told them what was going to happen. He was very clear-minded, all the rest of that. And then it's recorded after he gets through with that complex speech when he was apparently of sound body and mind and all the rest of that. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed, bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. He died. Now, it's just something for your discussion over lunch. Okay? So, original sin, the cause of sickness and of death. Let's move on to the second point, all right? This is important. Some suffering and illness are directly related to personal sin. We see this. Um, Adam and Eve sinned. Genesis 3, Genesis 4. We find 
the murders happening. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 6, listen to these words that are recorded. This is just prior to the flood. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. These are acts of evil, okay? Acts of sin, and there's a reason. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it's been that way ever since then. The reason evil acts are committed is because the heart is evil. We are born with a fallen nature. Personal sin grows out of original sin. And personal sin, that is those individual acts that we commit, is because of our fallen sin nature, original sin. It's the root and it's the fruit. David recognized this. And I, you know, so many times in Scripture, we see this, we see an admission of, of where that sin comes from. We have a perfect example of that. We're going to look at some others too. Against you and you only. You remember Psalm 51, the great fall, the great sin of, of, of David. And so he says this toward God, against you and you only have I sinned. There's the sinful act. I've done what is evil in your sight. But then he goes right to the heart of the matter. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. It goes all the way back to the womb that we are born with that sinful nature. And then he goes on in at least another psalm to show the connection of personal sin. Now, I want you to get this. Personal sin and sickness. He said this in Psalm 32 and in 38. I've combined these. When I kept silent, you know, last week we were talking about confessing our sins to one another and the, the need to have at least one other person that you can be transparent with. And I, and I spoke particularly to men. We need someone so that we don't just bottle up and keep silent about our sins. But, but David said, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. That's a picture of sickness. He goes on, there is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. So sometimes there is a direct relationship, a direct link between our own personal sin and suffering and illness. That's not just Old Testament, that's New Testament as well. You remember this, we, we read this out of this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read out of that a lot when we do the Lord's Supper. But there's something in there that is, uh, it is one of those tough places in the Bible. Have you ever noticed that there are places in the Bible that are just tough? So this is one of those tough places because he's going along. He's already pointed out that the Corinthian church is rife 
with all kinds of internal struggle and sin, and, and they're allowing it. They're not saying anything about it to people. And so he gets to the Lord's Supper, and he's instructing them, and he points out some things that ought not to be in terms of the Lord's Supper. And so he comes to this part when he says, the Lord's Supper is about you remembering what Jesus has done for you on the cross. That's what it's all about. It's not for you to earn points. You don't earn any points by taking the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion or Eucharist or whatever you want to call it. You're doing it as a memorial. You do it to remember that you have been saved by grace alone. But he comes back to this. I think this is related to what James is talking about. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There is something important about this that when you come to the Lord's table or, or when you come to church or when you're just living your life, let a person examine himself. And then let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, some have said that's the body of Christ and that could be true, but in the context he's talking about the body. Examine yourself. So if you don't discern the body and you eat and drink, you're eating and drinking judgment to yourself. And then he makes this shocking statement, that is why many of you, many of you, are weak and ill. Some of you have died. Now, I have said this over and over again when we come to take the Lord's Supper. There may be some of you sitting here today and your hair is just going straight back and you're thinking, whoa, then I'm not going to show up the next time they have the Lord's Supper. Or if I show up, I'm not going to take it. Now, folks, that's not the purpose for the Lord's Supper. Again, it's to remember what Christ has done, his sacrifice in your place on Calvary's cross. But it is a time of examination to see if there is something in you that needs to be expressed and confessed. Now, let, let me say this, just as, a, as an aside. I meant to say it last week, and somehow it slipped. Always make Listen, this is important. Make the circle of confession as wide as the circle of offense. Do you understand what I'm saying? And there have been people who have violated this, and people get over it, but it's just not the best. You let the circle of confession be as wide as the circle of of offense. If you've offended someone, it could be that at the Lord's Supper you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to make it right with that person. You go to that person. You don't have to come up here and say, look at what I've done. But sometimes personal sin is connected, directly connected, tied to the subject of suffering and sickness. Number three, some suffering and sickness have no direct relationship to personal sin. And the reason that you have to get those two balanced, they must be balanced, is because there are some people who teach that. 
that if you're sick, I alluded to this a, a few minutes ago, it's because always that you have sinned or that you don't have enough faith. There are a lot of people that have become seriously ill and they're running around trying to... They've already asked the Lord, would you reveal to me anything that I've done that might be the cause of this, but they keep on beating themselves up. And that's not healthy. Sometimes we are suffering and sometimes we are sick simply because we live, we are fallen, and we live in a fallen world, cosmos, that awaits redemption. Some people are born with afflictions. They suffer even before they reach the age of committing personal sins. We saw this when when Jesus and his disciples were encountering this man who was born blind, and and they they wanted to go there. Okay, what's the cause of this? Somebody had to sin. This is a result of either the parent's sin or this guy's sin. And and Jesus said, you are missing, you are missing the point. It's not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I think Job is a vivid example of that. You remember when we went through the book of Job? He was called a righteous man, the, the most righteous man in his generation. And yet he experienced the depths of suffering and of sickness. And his friends, his so-called comforters came to him. And they over and over accused him saying, Job, what you're going through is your fault. You must have done something wrong. And that's why God is punishing you. Because God never does this to the righteous. Folks, this is cruel and even sinful. How do I know it's sinful? Because at the very end of the book, God tells the three friends, I am not pleased with you. You go and get a sacrifice. You bring it to my servant Job so that he can sacrifice for you and I'll turn away my wrath. That's God's evaluation. You need to be very careful. It's just, it's almost human nature. I've fallen into this. I I have to fight it. You find somebody who's going through stuff, maybe not as bad as Joe, but just whatever. Sickness, they've lost a job. They've had suffering of different kinds. And inevitably that question kind of niggling in the back of your mind is, I wonder what they did to deserve that. Here's the bad thing about it is that sometimes you're asking the same thing. Sometimes, listen to me, some of you, and I look out and I can see that there are people here, too many to name, you're going through these kinds of things. You're living with a disability. You're living with a a, a sickness, an illness, and, and maybe it's terminal. Maybe you just don't even know it yet. But sometimes that happens because we live in a fallen world. Number four, God sometimes chooses to heal. Now, you see what we've done. We've gone all the way back. Where does it come from? Sometimes it's a result of sin. Sometimes it is not. Now, this is so important. Sometimes God chooses to heal. And I'm talking about physically. But 
it is not God's will that everyone be healed in this life. And again, I have friends and they're sincere. And they believe, I've heard it just this last week, that God wants everybody well. Complete healing in this life, at least for your three score and ten. That's how they get around it. I mean, you're going to die eventually. Yeah, but you can be healed and well for your three score and ten, at least until you're 70. So I've got another year. According to their theology, they support their beliefs with a verse like Isaiah 53 Five, he was wounded, talking about Jesus, for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought peace. And this is the part that they pull out and misapply. Again, read the context. With his stripes we are healed. Is that true? This is not a trick question. Absolutely that is true. But that is talking about redemption. And not first about physical healing. Again, folks like this can be so sincere. I, I, I have good friends. I have family members like this. But when you boil it down, they can be absolutely cruel. My mother contracted breast cancer when she was 45 years old. Years ago. She thought she'd beat it through some surgeries and chemotherapy. And it came back and she became ill. And it had spread throughout her body. And she ultimately died at 50. And I had well-meaning friends and even family who said, there must be some sin. I encourage my mother, look at the scriptures, go go and see if this is a a problem. And she did. She was a woman of faith. To no avail, she continued to get sick. Well, Marty, if she just had enough faith. I remember one time, and I didn't, I was trying to remember if I actually said something. But I was thinking it. The person that was telling me that wore glasses. And I really did. I thought to myself, first of all, it hurt. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to strike back. I don't think I said anything. But I thought to myself, if you don't have enough faith to even heal your own eyesight. And I find many people in the faith healing movement who wear glasses. How much faith does it take to get healed? How much faith does it take to get saved? If you've got enough faith that you are saved, you've got enough faith to be healed. But over and over again, let me just pop up here some biblical examples. 2 Corinthians 12. The Apostle Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. That could have been some Jewish people that were coming against him. But but most people say that was an ailment, a physical ailment, probably something to do with his eyesight that made him abhorrent to other people. They didn't like to look at him. 
But he asked three times that God would remove it. What did God say? That's not my purpose. You're going to remain with that so that my strength can be shown in your weakness. Here are some other things out of the life of the Apostle Paul. Epaphroditus, uh, his friend Trophimus. And in both those cases, if if Paul followed the, the, the usual teachings of the faith healers today, all he'd have to do is say, just get up and, and go on about your business. But he didn't. Epaphroditus was ill to the point of death, nearly died for the work of Christ, and, and God had mercy on my soul. He brought him out. He doesn't say anything about trying to heal him. Trophimus, he left ill in Miletus. Now, what kind of faith healer is that? Kind that knows how to pray in certain ways and at certain times. I like this, Timothy. All he had to do if he was a faith healer, speak a word and Timothy would have been healed. He had problems with his stomach. So what did he tell him to do? Have you got stomach problems this morning? (laughs) Biblical remedy, yeah. Well, you know, they didn't have Pepto-Bismol back then. Okay? So the best he could do is take a little wine. It'll help. It's medicinal. That's really what he was talking about, okay? But even then, he didn't heal him immediately. Now, this, this, is, this is important. Jesus really was wounded and crushed for our iniquity, for our spiritual healing and salvation, to give spiritual life to all, and then someday to raise us from the dead. Jeff, you said it well a minute ago. And then we will be done with sickness and death. Now hear me, am I saying that God doesn't heal? Absolutely not. God can and He does heal, sometimes instantly, sometimes slowly. Sometimes without anybody else around, sometimes He uses doctors, He uses means. You see, God is responsible for all healing. I I am convinced that we don't give God enough credit for the the healings that we experience. Anybody had a cold this year? Anybody had the flu? Anybody had a headache and you were healed from that? Have Have you thought to stop and give glory to God? Because ultimately He is responsible. He is the giver of life and health. It's mercy. And frankly, it's a miracle that we're all still alive and here today. And here, here, is, here is what I, I would like you to do. And then we're going to look at the last three things and answer the question of how do I pray for someone who is, is sick. Leave room for the mystery of God's ways. Okay. When you don't have the answer for why is one healed and the other not. Leave room for the mystery of God's ways. Number five. Last thing, I'm going to have to do this very quickly. I don't want to just park here. But what if you're going to pray for somebody, you need to realize there are three distinct purposes for sickness in the economy of God. All right? The first one is this. There is a sickness for judgment. That's negative. That can be, and if, if we're saying uh, in the life of a believer, we would call it discipline. Okay? But here we find, and this is just one story, uh, 
about King Hezekiah. There were non-faithful people like, like uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Had, had a debilitating mental defect because of his pride. This was pride. Usually it was caused by pride. But here Hezekiah was struck by God for his pride and was a leper until the day of his death. There is a sickness for judgment. We talked about this a minute ago. This is obviously for believers. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It is a severe discipline. Years ago, I pastored, I think it was the second church I pastored, we had Rick Stanley come for a revival. Anybody know Rick Stanley or who he was? He passed away earlier this year. He was Elvis Presley's stepbrother. Anybody know who Elvis Presley is? Do you guys know? Okay. And he gave his testimony one night about growing up. He kind of played on words with the king until he met the king. But he, he believed, I, I have my doubts, he believed with all of his heart that Elvis was saved and that he departed and went away from the Lord and the Lord took him home. That's an anecdote. I don't know the truthfulness of that, but I do know. And by the way, if you want to, this will be the last sermon out of the book of James, look at the last two verses. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings him back a sinner from his wondering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The ministry of restoration. So there is a sickness. Now, by the way, when I pray, whether it's I pray this out loud or I pray, pray it silently, Lord, give us wisdom as to what kind of sickness this is. Is this a sickness unto judgment or chastisement, discipline, so this person will come back to following the Lord? That could be. There's also a sickness for the glory of God. We talked about this a minute ago. Two, two different places, the man born blind and Lazarus. There's a sickness for the glory of God. Sometimes God heals for His glory Sometimes he allows people to remain in that disability or that sickness also for his glory because he gives the strength to endure. Paul's thorn in the flesh, you remember that. A couple of contemporary examples. Anybody know the name Johnny Erickson Tata? Nick Vujicek? Google the, the video that they're in together. Nick Vujicek is, I, he may be 30s, 40s, born without arms and legs. Man, the guy has never let that get him down. He, he's, he's a believer, a follower. And he's, he's talking with Johnny Erickson Tata, who was injured. It was an injury and a paraplegic, and then found out she has cancer. She's 69, I believe it is. And what an incredible measure of glory. What encouragement. For those of you who have gone through things, do you understand that God, this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, God gives you encouragement, but not just to keep to yourself so that you can draw alongside other people 
who are struggling in that same area and you can encourage them with the encouragement that you have received from God. That's a second kind of sickness under the glory of God. And then there's a third kind of sickness. We need to learn how and when to pray this. There's a sickness unto death. I said it last week, I'll say it again, it, it, barring a return of the Lord either by accident or, or, or probably an illness. I don't know that I'll be like Jacob, just draw my legs up into the bed, breathe my last, and boom, I'm out. That's what most of us would like. But there is a time when we will reach a sickness unto death. And let me tell you something for you, you saints that are advanced in age and when you get ill, and I, I try to be very discerning into what, what I pray at that time because there has been many a saint who has said, I am ready to go home. I discern that this is my sickness unto death. Pastor, would you pray? God just releases me. It's been amazing how many times very quickly after that 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 saint has gone on to be with Jesus, which is what they really wanted in the first place. And this, this is one of the most stunning stories. We end with this. There was a guy by the name of Elisha. You remember him? One of the most powerful prophets in all of the Bible. He was a healer. But it came time for him to die. He had a sickness unto death. And when you get a sickness unto death, what do you do? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. You die. If you've got a sickness unto death, you're going to die. Again, that's not all bad for the believer. Now, watch this. He got a sickness unto death, and he died. The most powerful faith healer in Israel at that time, maybe ever. And so powerful was the healing in his bones, he was buried in a tomb. Now, I don't know how long he was there. It says his bones were there. There was a marauding band that was going through and they had this sick guy and they said he's going to slow us down what can we do with him he's too sick to travel they threw him into the tomb of Elisha and the second I love this story the second that sick guy's body touched the bones of Elisha he sprang totally healed to life so even when Elisha had the sickness unto death there was still the power of healing but he still died. The next time you're praying for someone or for yourself, remember that God has a purpose and a plan. He gives grace to live. He gives grace when it comes your time to die. Father, I thank you for this teaching in the book of James. I thank you for um, the, the, the way that it encourages us Worst thing we could do is stick our head in the sand and say, I'm just not going to get sick or I'm not going to die. But Lord, when we realize that you have a plan and a purpose, that your gospel, your death, your burial, your resurrection, not only ensures an eternal life spiritually, but ensures us that we will have a body that will be redeemed and live in the new heavens and the new earth. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today without Christ, that man, that woman, that student, that child would come to a saving faith in Christ. And I pray that you would encourage those of us who know you and follow you.
Help us now as we sing this last song and then depart from this place to obey and follow you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.